Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. And now, here's your host, William Powell. The king of DC media. Good evening, everyone. It is I, the king of DC media, William Powell, your host, internationally known, nationally respected, and locally appreciated. Welcome to the Inside Acting Radio Show. Tonight's guest is Paul Curiosity, the author of the James Bond Lifestyle Seminar and the director of such films as Omega Cop, Weapons of Death, and Ninja Busters, which is being released on Blu-ray later this month. Before we get to Paul, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Hey, federal employees, what would you do with $1 million? Your wishful thinking can become a reality. We're FedChoice, and we're here to help you achieve your million-dollar dreams, from saving you money on a loan to helping you save for retirement. Visit us online at FedChoice.org and use the keyword inside. FedChoice Federal Credit Union, an official sponsor of the Inside Acting Radio Show. FedChoice Federal Credit Union, Federally insured by NCUA. All right. And if you would like to advertise on this show, email me at william400 at yahoo.com. So before we bring Paul on, let me read an uh, excerpt from the James Bond Lifestyle Seminar. I'm happy. I'm broke. I'm sick and tired. I'm a mess. I'm prosperous. Can you find the two most powerful words among these? They're the words I am. These two words will program the mind more than any others. And what you put after them will become your life. I am. Just fill in the blank and your mind will start guiding you to that state of being, whether it's positive or negative. It will just follow your orders. All right. So I see Paul is on the line. So let me bring him on in. Kanitawa, Paul. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, um, William, and I am very happy to be uh, connected with you. I'm calling in from Japan. You only live twice line, uh, land, I should say, only live twice land. I'm on the line, and it's uh, 1130 in the afternoon here. 1130 in the morning, Amazing. Yeah, we're time traveling. (laughs) That's right, that's right. So, uh... I'm... I'm one day ahead of you. I'm in your future, and I'm here to tell you your future tomorrow is going to be great. (laughs) Fantastic. So, yeah, man, so what's new? Uh, Well, you know, it's interesting. I mentioned in my James Bond lifestyle that I had read this Hollywood agent. I read his whole book, and what impressed me, he says if an actor can have three new things going within six weeks, like he's got a new movie that's a hit, he's got his new book, uh, autobiography, and uh, he's on a, you know, he gets an interview on 
Johnny Carson or Jay Leno show. If he gets three things in a short period of time, he is perceived as uh, being hot, moving up. Now, that's hard to do. You know, it's hard enough to get uh, one good thing going, but to get three within six weeks or two months is difficult. But I think the first time in my life I got three things within uh, six weeks, since you asked me what's up, I have uh, the new edition of um, How to Live the James Bond Lifestyle called the Spectre Edition just came out uh, now on Amazon. And as you know, um, in um, about 20 days, uh, the Spectre James Bond movie will be out. Now, that's not mine, of course. So I got the Spectre Edition. I also have the Japanese version uh, release, and that's a whole new market um, over here. And uh, my old movie, Ninja Busters was uh, found uh, in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> I'll tell you that story. So uh, they're, they're making a, bl- a Blu-ray out of that. So that's uh, that's three things within uh, six weeks. So let's see if uh, my image and uh, my uh, entertainment business moves up a notch. All right. So I want to dive into Ninja Busters. Now, it was made back in 1984. Well, it came out in 84. I think you started filming it in 1980. And it, it somehow this guy went to a vault somewhere in Mojave Desert. So tell that story. How did, how was it rediscovered? Well, uh, yeah, it is a wild story, and you are correct. Um, that was my fourth film that I um, uh, rewrote and then directed in 19 – started in 1980. We ran out of money, and I, I made that with um, – uh, the actors that were in Death Machines, as well as my third movie, Weapons of Death, Eric Lee, Sid Campbell, and in Oakland, um, uh, California, around the karate, his karate studio in Oakland. So it's a it's a comedy movie about two two guys, uh, kind of uh, naive guys that join a karate school to pick up girls and. And then that's the first 45 minutes of the movie. In the last half, they get involved with gangsters and ninjas. So it's a <laughs> pretty fast. Uh, it's a fast, funny movie. We we showed it to an audience uh, of about 800, um, and they just you know screamed and laughed. We gave it to a distributor. Unfortunately, it's the uh, wrong distributor. Uh, you know how that story goes in the uh, in the 80s. Um, People would give uh, their films uh, to distributors and, and not get anything back for it. But this distributor, I don't know if he made another print, but we gave him the one print. And, um, you know, long story short, he went to prison for six years for stealing money from all his movies, including Ninja Busters. Wasn't heard huh. of. The print disappeared. So now, 30 years later, a year ago, this film collector named Harry Guerrero uh, heard that there was all these prints in a storeroom in the Mojave Desert, old Ooh. movies. So he went there, and he called it a hellhole. And I looked up, you know, rattlesnakes love those kind of uh, storerooms with dust and spiders. And the Mojave Desert has the most deadly rattlesnakes. They have two different types of venom inside them. So he risked going into oh. that storeroom. Pulling uh, and they and some of these uh, prints were the print themselves had turned to rust and was so strong acid it ate through the metal cans. But uh, Ninja Busters, yeah, Ninja Busters was uh, okay. The print he loaded up the this guy Harry loaded up the prints and drove across America in ice storm uh, to New Jersey, 
and showed uh, Ninja Busters at a film festival, three-day film festival. Turned out it was the hit of the of the festival. Everybody loved it. I got emails from people that found me and said it was hilarious. They were laughing so hard they were crying. And it was such a big hit. And, and it was an exploitation film festival, and it was even more popular, they said, than Carpenter's uh, Assault on Precinct 13. And people said likable characters, fast action, and hilarious. So uh, because of that, um, this guy Harry, film collector, is uh, you know making it into Blu-ray. He's also taking my first movie. It was a black-and-white um, movie about three samurai coming to England, to join a fencing tournament kind of all takes place in the woods, but I couldn't sell it. But he's putting my first movie on a, as a bonus. So I got two lost movies that are coming out on Blu-ray the end of this month. So that's the story of Ninja Busters. And, uh, you know, if you persevere in the business as an actor or, um, you know, crew member, director, writer, um, you know, bonus things happen. And that one just came out of the blue. Uh, my movie Omega Cop um, just three months ago played in a theatrical theater in um, Oregon for a bingo night, and they advertised it. <laughs> and and uh, two years ago, my second movie Death Machines um, was brought out, um, not Blu-ray, but regular video, uh, first time widescreen off a 35 millimeter print uh, with my commentary nice. on it. So, uh, you know, if you persevere, you keep your uh, shingle out there. You might have a side job or, or whatever, but uh, I encourage people to, to, you know, keep going, and these bonus things happen. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Death Machines. You did the, the commentary. I've always wondered, how do they set that up? You just go to a studio, do you do it on your smartphone or turn it in? How do you do that? You know, that's a good question. I watch lots of commentary. And yeah. I always wondered, and sometimes the actors are together, sometimes they're not. The death machines I did by Skype, and uh, I had the technician in America. We both started our copies of uh, death machines at the same time, and I recorded uh, as I watched it. And and uh, anybody making commentary, uh, you know, there's great commentaries, and then there's some so-so where people just wing it. In fact, people are com complaining about uh, the new commentary that um, the Exorcist uh, director did uh, for Vertigo. You know, it was mm. just like, uh, it was unbelievably, uh, it was like, okay, there's Kim Novak, she's at the door. Okay, she's the door opens, she's walking across the room, <laughs> he's just telling what's happening. <laughs> It got that oh, no. bad, and I thought, is it just me? But people on the Internet were complaining. Um, mm. That was William Friedkin that did that. So what I do on commentary, I make notes. I might have about 50 notes on paper of things that I do want to talk about. But also, people want scene-specific commentary where you point things out and say, look at that and look at that. So while I'm doing scene-specific sp I'll um, I'll also do my notes, and when I finish something on a note, I'll check it off, and then I'll go back to you know scene talking about scene uh, specific. Now, this man Harry uh, Guerrero corrector, I said I do it by Skype, and uh, he said no, no, we need better quality. Get the Zoom uh, microphone. So um, I got that Zoom high quality microphone. I watched it, of course, with the sound off, and recorded it holding the Zoom. Um, uh, recorder. I did first take. I was 
pretty good, and the second take was great. It was so great I could never do it that good again. So then I emailed him the uh, the file, and then he uh, uh, did all the technical work of putting it together. So there's, those are the two ways. Uh, it seems like some of them do go to a studio, like when they gathered, uh, where they gather a couple of people together, they'll go to yeah. a, a screening room or a studio. Right, right. Now you got to talk about the newest edition of the James Bond Lifestyle Seminar. What are some of the things you added to it? Yeah, I I added about uh, forty, I think about fifty pages of uh, a new material, and I. Uh, uh, also adding in the actual material, and then I have these 2015 notes. When I when I did the 2012 edition, I have 2012 notes, and they're bold. And now I got the 2015, and uh, just a lot more uh, updated information. And I'll tell you, uh, this Uber car service that you have on your yeah. telephone. I'm sure, everybody's familiar with that. Uh, it's just one of the great things for the James Bond lifestyle for guys living the James <laughs> the convenience. You know, you you call people on the, you know, you call them on the phone and you see the phone knows where you're, where you're at and it's all done by um, by credit card that you have on on the company's um, site. And uh, you know, I, I take a lot of taxis. I do a lot of car rental. Um, but I'm always having to, you know, make sure I have cash, a lot of 20s and 10s and 5s and, and uh, right. you know, for taxis and this way. It's just incredible. You just call them. So I, I, I give some inside uh, Uber information. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to be going to America. I usually rent a car with my ins- I carry all the insurance and and uh, I have a higher level uh, car. So it's about 150 a day. But I'm going to Palm Springs from L.A. and don't need a car there um, visiting somebody. So I checked on Uber. You can go online, too, and, and check uh, estimate prices. They only go, a lot of people don't know this, they only go 100 miles. And uh, hmm. Palm Springs is 106 miles from Los Angeles. <laughs> and wow. it won't take. So what I do, here's a little trick that uh, what, I, what I'm going to do is take an Uber car to San Bernardino halfway, and I check from San Bernardino. They do have indeed have cars that are you know five minutes away and ready to take me to Palm Springs. So I'll use the two Uber car system to overcome that uh, that hundred mile uh, limit. And I make sure that I looked up. Uh, I don't know San Bernardino that well, but I made sure I got the, the dropped off at the very best uh, shopping mall. So in case there's any delay, I, I got food, restrooms, movie theaters, whatever. And, and uh, I don't want to be dropped off in the middle of the desert, you know. So wow. there's a little trick. There's a little trick. So I have I have material like that. I added uh, more photos that are empowering, and um, you know, especially with the, the money section. So those are those are some of the things uh, uh, that I have, and I uh, I have uh, Spectre quotes that I got from the um, the previews of uh, Spectre, and I use those because I have quotes all through uh, anytime it relates to the subject, just not random quotes, but if it relates to the subject I'm talking about, then I'll quote James Bond or one of the villains or whatever. So yeah, I'm very excited about it. Uh, so that's great. 
That's great. Yeah, you take taking mental uh, possession of uh, Uber cars and uh, shopping centers and everything. Yeah, you know that's it, William. That's one of the uh, uh, the big things about the James Bond lifestyle. You hit the nail on the head there. I learned from my success teacher years ago uh, to take mental possession of hotels as your second homes. And it's a very powerful thing to do. If you have a second or third home, that's great. If you actually own it, you know, ownership is great. But there's also responsibility with ownership Um, and, of course, great expense. But, uh, you know, I would go up to Lake Tahoe Caesars Palace twice a year, and that was my my hotel, and uh, I took mental possession, and I didn't have to worry if – you know, the the window was cracked or, you know, I didn't have to bring uh, cleaning products and towels in. Everything was there waiting for me. So that right. take, take mental possession, rental boats. If you're not going to use a boat, you know, uh, you know, every week you might as well rent a boat. And you don't, you have less expense and responsibility. That's a good point you brought yeah. up. Exactly. Exactly. So now what do you think James Bond creator Ian Fleming would say about the James Bond Lifestyle Seminar? Well, since um, Ian Fleming um, did live in um, the Bahamas, and uh, he lived a, a great lifestyle, and he, I think he wanted to be James Bond because in the first book, uh, he describes James Bond as looking like the piano player Hoagie Carmichael. Now, your listeners yeah. may not know who that is. Uh, he was the piano player in uh, the movie Best Years of Our Lives. But he's kind of a thin kind of guy, uh, kind of a Fred Astaire kind of looking guy, and that's how, what Ian Fleming looked like as well. So Ian Fleming looked like Hoagie Carmichael, and he said James Bond looked like Ho- Hoagie Carmichael. So I think he saw himself as James Bond. He certainly lived a, a prosperous and luxury lifestyle. So I think he would be um, um, uh, very uh, positive about uh, my James Bond lifestyle course because I don't talk about uh, you know, weapons or, or, or drinking or smoking. Uh, I talk about uh, lifestyle. So I think he'd uh, approve and be excited about it. Yeah. I'll uh, segue into the next question is, uh, well, what do you think he would uh, say about Spectre, the new movie coming out? Oh, um, you know, he only saw, I think he only saw one or two movies, which is too bad, just Dr. No and From Russia With Love. I don't think he saw Goldfinger. So uh, he would be amazed, I think, at the the technology uh, of the new Bond movies. And I'll tell you, um, I have not purposely not looked at the trailer of um, Spectre. I got the trailer quotes just off the Internet. Somebody listed all the quotes from the the trailer. Uh, I was very happy that I did not look at the trailer for Terminator Genesis because I just wanted to watch (laughs) it fresh. And then I found out fans were angry. They told two big spoilers of the story in the trailer. I mean, some fans mm. were angry. Well, I didn't look at the trailer until after I saw the movie, and I thought, oh, my God, what are they doing? And they thought, well, the producers are hedging their bets. They're saying, come to the movie. We've got this, you know, 
spin on the story, and we got this spin on the story. But they they blew the surprise. So um, I was very smart uh, you know, not to spoil it for myself. So I'm doing the same thing with the with the Spectre uh, movie. I have not seen the trailer uh, at all. So uh, uh, I have a I have an open mind and ready for any surprises they might throw at us. Yeah, yeah, you know that's uh that's interesting that you say that because like you look at other franchises like Star Wars and one of the appeals of Star Wars at least back in the 70s is like you knew very little about it. There was no YouTube or anything. There was like, like word of mouth and it seemed like it just built up a lot of anticipation. Yeah, exactly. Um often the the trailers just show show too much. They they got more so, you know, you're right in the from Star Wars on um you know you're right they didn't show much of star wars but um i guess it was from from jaws was 1975 and star wars um after that producers started hedging their bets with longer trailers and showing more but what they did with um the terminator genesis was uh, ri- uh ridiculous mm. yeah so why do you think so many Hollywood action movies it seem like some of them are boring? I mean, they, they just have too much action. Why do you think that is? Boy, well, you 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 hit it right there. Too much action, and uh, it's mm. always the last scene. It's just uh, repetitive action that goes on too long without uh, f- furthering the plot or furthering the character. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. And of course, a lot of the action movies rely on the action and don't have as much character and plot uh, to re- reveal. Uh, a really great example would be the original Die Hard movie that revealed character. Of course, that was written by uh, the great screenwriter um, Shane Black, uh, who did Sea of Love, and he got a lot of character in there, a lot of great lines, the man-woman relationship, uh, to the right. point where the woman had left, uh, um, uh, John McClane's wife had left him. She was living in California. She was working for this Japanese company, and they gave her a Rolex watch as a bonus. And at the very end of the movie, if you remember, uh, she's hanging off the edge of the building, and the bad man is is hanging onto her wrists, and um, John McClane takes off her Rolex so the bad man would fall. So she, by taking off the Rolex, of course, the action happened, but it was also symbolic of she's coming right. back to him and leaving the company. And so then right. at the end, she, she introduces, <laughs> at the end, yeah, isn't that clever? At the end, she introduces herself, you know, as um, she she said her name, her, she was using her maiden name, and then she says, you know, no, I'm Holly McLean. So she went back to her. And so they had the whole man-woman relationship in there. They had an interesting villain, so many surprises. Um, but some, you know, some producers think, oh, it's the action that sold it. You know, but it was no. uh, it was the action with, uh, you know, with the character and the and the great lines, as you, I'm sure you remember, that was in that. So. <laughs> You have to, you know, compare a lot of movies to that original uh, Die Hard or Aliens by Jim Cameron. So you yeah. got to move that plot forward. You got to have interesting uh, 
interesting characters. And so many times, uh, I remember uh, Antonio Banderas um, in the movie Zorro, which was terrific, but that last uh, fight in the mines just went on forever. Just didn't stop. Mm. And they had a great ending, the explosion, and he comes walking out of the of the dust uh, carrying the child, and everybody was behind him. The, the good guys survived. But uh, all that sword fighting, and it just went on forever. So you hit it, just too much action. You know, the, yeah. what I like is, is the director, Howard Hawks, who did Rio Bravo and The Thing, uh, he yeah. said he liked his, his action where it explodes and bang, and it's like, what happened? You know, he didn't use slow motion, and uh, Quentin Tarantino uh, did that in the movie Unglorious Bastards in the um, cellar um, bar scene where they built yeah. up suspense for 20 minutes, and then the guns came out, and bam, bam, boom, boom, and it's over in five seconds. You go, wow, what happened? That's very Howard Hawks, and Quentin Tarantino is yeah. a fan of Howard Hawks. So, um, you know, I wish uh, more directors would use that. Of course, you have to have longer action scenes, uh, uh, you know, to be an action movie. You just can't have a, you know, the, the Howard Hawks style, but it's great to have, you know, one or two of those scenes of fast action. Yeah, that's uh, spaghetti westerns. That's one of the things I love about those films too. It's just like the tension is like this drives you crazy, and it's like this very quick gunfight. Yeah. Yeah, well, that brings to mind the end of the Good, Bad, and the Ugly with the three people, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood and um, Lee Van Cleef and uh, Eli Wallach. The good, the bad, and the ugly—they're—they're they're doing that three-man showdown. That went on for six minutes before they drew their guns with that great music and close-ups and the hands moving to the, you know, to the holsters. And um, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. So let's uh, change gears a little bit and talk about uh, what do you think about uh, Hollywood's system of giving parts. Uh, and uh, salaries to stars. I mean, you think that Hollywood is fair to actors and crew members? Well, it's interesting. There was an email leaked uh, just a couple of days ago, and uh, it's talking about Jennifer Lawrence uh, um, getting less, two uh, percent less uh, percentage points. She on um, that one movie she did with uh, with uh, Bradley Cooper and. Yeah, yeah, and that just leaked, and she got seven points, and even though she's Academy Award winner, and, and the men got uh, nine points, so she got only, um, you know, she got ten million, and she could have, she could have got twelve million. Um, it, it's, uh, it reminds me also about in the '80s, Sally Field was talking about, even though she had Academy Award and was hot. She got $10 million, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who never won an Academy Award, got $20 million. So she was kind of protesting male actors get more. But um, i tell you, William, I've read where the Hollywood business has not changed since the silent era. era. Mm. Uh, Lillian Gish was the first giant star, a woman. She made more money than anybody. And... Mm. um, it's uh, yeah hollywood it seems to it's a business and it seems to be very fair because it's tough but i think fair because it's always been whoever sells 
uh, you know, the most tickets can have their agent negotiating higher prices. And, uh, you know, Sally Field uh, made those uh, great movies and was popular, but was not world popular, didn't sell as many tickets as Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, uh, you know, action movies has been the staple since, uh, you know, the first silent uh, movies. One of my favorite, one of the first silent movies was called uh, Duel with Sledgehammers. (laughs) Really? I saw the post. Yeah, can you imagine that? Duel with Sledgehammers. I saw the poster of that, but I've never, I guess the print disappeared. But uh, it's always been action movies, the great train robbery. And and action movies... uh, uh, usually have men, and then it changed with Sigourney Weaver and Aliens, uh, which is great to have these great female um, uh, action characters. But whoever sells the most tickets can negotiate um, the the higher salaries. So whether it's men or women or uh, ethnic um, actors, um, I think it's just fair. If you can sell more tickets, you know, I swear this happened last night. I was watching an, an old um, YouTube video of Howard Stern, a couple of years old, where Andy Dick had uh, the comedian Andy Dick had got fired off his show, and then he, Andy Dick got in all kinds of trouble. And he did an interview. Andy Dick did an interview t- calling Howard Stern bad names, and so Howard Stern mm-hmm. rants on it. And for you listeners, you can check the title, YouTube title. Howard Stern TV interview on Andy Dick. Okay, mm-hmm. and he just does a tirade of, you know, Howard Stern's net worth is $500 million. And he, mm. he was, you know, Andy Dick was complaining he's got talent and he doesn't have his own show. And Howard Stern <laughs> says, man, I was working hard. And I started off in these small radio uh, you know stations, and he says all I did was listen to other shows and listen to radio, study radio, and had to compete. And he competed by creating, which is what I talk about in the James Bond lifestyle. You have to change from the competitive mind to the creative mind, and he created this great show. So he goes under this whole tirade. And the reason I'm saying this, he says, you go talking to Andy Dick, you go to a small radio station and you get fans and you get listeners and you get sponsors and you build up, you know, the, the fans and, and once again, that's, that's selling, you know, it's all sick. You can be in the car business. Whoever sells the most cars is going to rise up in the company. So I, I think right. uh, to answer your question about, uh, uh, the salaries, men versus women, uh, actors, it's all, uh, who can sell the most tickets? So uh, absolutely, I think I think it's a it's a tough business, but I think it's fair. You know, if you can, yeah. if you know, if a movie movie you make goes out and sells a lot, you're gonna you're gonna move up as an actor or a, or a director. Or if you shoot um, the cameraman shoots, you know, great footage and people see it, uh, he'll be hired. So it's a tough business, but I think it's fair. And like Howard Stern says, I, I really recommend uh, uh, that people listen to that. There's uh, there's a lot of uh, swearing in it, so don't have children around. Uh, he right. really goes on a tirade, but it's work your butt off, you know, and yep. uh, build your audience. Absolutely, absolutely. That sounds very uh, Brian Tracy-esque. I mean, Brian Tracy 
kind of talks about that a lot too. That basically, it's sort of a bottom line kind of thing. And like everybody out there, you're you're really your own boss, really. And you know, whether you have an employee or or you're you're self-employed, you're really the person that's out there selling. You know, it's all about selling. Yeah. You know, uh, we're on here, we're on radio, and uh, when I was a boy, uh, Casey Kasem was in San Francisco, and uh, he was called Casey at the mic. He was just in the San Francisco radio station, and he had a little girl without a name, and and then we'd push a button, "Uh uh-huh, honey, which was Brenda Lee from a song, and and then he had another guest called Crazy, you catch on fast, and he did all these funny voices, and he was really entertaining, but... He said he finally had to drop that, and when he started to do these history of music, and he would say this next singer, and he wouldn't say the name, did this and this and this, and he's telling what this singer did and his history, and you're wondering, who is it? And then at the end, he'd say, it's Frankie Avalon, and here's Venus. So he'd have this suspense, and he says when he started getting the history and the back history of all these singers and introducing the records that way, that's when he took off. And uh, eventually he moved to a New York uh, radio station, um, uh, National, and he, he was getting $20 million a year. And Casey Kasem, I'll never forget, he said, I learned what every hole in that microphone did. Now, of course, <laughs> you, can't, you can't learn. He was just using that as an analogy. But he's, he's meaning he learned everything about radio that he could. And yeah. that's what Howard Stewart was saying. He says, I studied everything about radio. So, uh, you know, there's there's another uh, example. So I saw Casey Kasem go from a local show with funny voices to this history of rock and roll radio and then on to uh, te- television with his history Absolutely. of rock and roll. That's right. That's right. So I got a question here from uh, fan uh, Troy Sweezy. Okay, he writes, uh, in this day and age, is it possible to have a super successful movie like Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi, which cost $7,000, or Kevin Smith's uh, Clerks, which cost $600,000, or the movies have to have a $150 million budget like Casino Royale. Well, yeah, that's very interesting that Robert Rodriguez um, made his movie on credit cards, and I read about that. He had a good story, and his timing uh you know into the business was uh was on his side and and he had a hit with that uh, spike lee did that with um his first movie that was done in in black and uh, black and white yeah. uh, she's, she's got to have, have it, it. Yeah. yeah and it uh, was unique and uh, very low budget so uh same thing with the um that the first found footage uh movie the blair rich uh project uh, they right. lucked out, you know. They had all that handheld, but they lucked out with a story and went on the internet. So it's great to have a big budget, uh, you know, with stars and all these locations. I mean, that's that's part of the movies, you know, stars and locations and and action and surprises and stereo sound. But if you can have a good story, you can sneak in there. My second movie, uh, Death Machines, was a $70,000 budget. We filmed in Technoscope, which The Good, Bad, and The Ugly also did, which is half frame, shoots half frame, but cuts that half frame into a Panavision-shaped frame, and then and then the prints are made as Panavision, so you get a Panavision look. 
and technoscopes sound so cool, like Technorama, mm. the audiences don't know it's really half-frame 35, so it's a very economical. But uh, Crown International uh, uh, picked the movie up, and um, you know I had very exploitable ideas in there, and, and um, cops and gangsters and bar fights and karate. We had, I'd had everything in there. Blew up a Piper Club airplane for real, and mm. uh, even on that, even on that budget, uh, we 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 had a real one that flew, and then we had a, another real one, but that was gutted. That we blew up. We bought for two thousand. And which that sold uh, Crown International. They put that movie out in 50 movie theaters in Los Angeles alone, including the Egyptian theater where they, uh, you know, premiered uh, Ben Hur and the Ten Commandments, that famous classic theaters. 50 theaters al- alone in L.A. Quarter page ads. So I just lucked out, and uh, they moved it across America. Uh, that was. Um, uh, just before Jaws uh, came out, where they started that, that came out with 800 uh, theaters at once. That was the first one to do that, and then um, after that, now they I think they go to 3,000 theaters at once. So my point is seventy thousand dollars, and I lucked out with Crown International really getting behind it and the promoter. New York, they had semi-color ads in the newspaper. <laughs> quarter page mm. and it played in Times Square and the three killers we had one was um, Caucasian one was Afro uh, Afro American because those movies uh, Afro American movies were big at that time and one was Asian Asian and they had uh, big big framed photos of each of the uh, of the three killers uh, out in front of the theater and they were unknowns so yes, if you get lucky, you can you can hit a home run. That's just like anything. You buy real estate, and if you're lucky, you hit a home run, and your real estate goes up ten times. The same thing can happen uh, with a movie on a lower budget. Uh, Blair Rich uh, Project is a good example of that. Speaking of that, because I'm in Japan, um, there's a giant theater in this entertainment area, 1,100 seats, and they had the Blair Rich Project playing there. And uh, like the third day, I went past the theater, and they had a new sign out there in English and in Japanese saying, uh, if you don't like shaky camera work, if it makes you dizzy, uh, don't see this movie. So evidently, they had so many people complaining about the shaky camera that they had to warn uh, people. So that's a little side uh, movie note uh, <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to throw in. So. Yeah. Okay, Paul, we're coming up on, uh, I'm giving you a very early warning, about 19 minutes. There's so much I want to get to. Um, so I want to jump quickly into another question we have from Mr. Uh, Sweezy about, uh, speaking of found footage, and we were just talking about that, would yeah. you ever make a found footage film? You know, I don't have the talent for that. My My genre is thrillers. You know, like romantic thrillers, I've been doing that with audiobooks or action with hopefully great plots and characters. I just don't have uh, the vision for that. Blair Witch Project uh, was scary, you know, scary. It wasn't totally satisfying for me as a found footage, but there was the movie Cloverfield, which was found footage, very clever. That was the one with the big Godzilla monster in New York, and they had a party, and those four teenagers were trying to 
get out of town. If you remember that, I saw that in the theater. That was fantastic. Saw that a couple times. And then another movie, Chronicle, where three boys go into some kind of pit, and there was a meteor, and it gave them this psychic power, and they could fly. And, man, that one was fantastic uh, as well. So I do like found footage movies, especially Cloverfield and Chronicle. Uh, But um, you have to be careful with those. That's a very tricky genre, and I just don't have the... uh, you know the the enlightenment for that. I don't know where I would start, and it's been done so much. I'm surprised there's so many. Yeah, and there's a new one coming out. I can't remember the the name, but that's that's a genre in itself, isn't it? No, so now absolutely. To, to you know, Alfred Hitchcock always repeated. He says, "I'm always trying to avoid the cliche." So now, found footage is a cliche. Uh, what would you do to be original? when the Blair Rich Project was the originator of found footage. So, uh, no, I, I I wouldn't know where to where to start. Now, if a project was given to me with the script that a producer stood behind and thought would work, then, of course, I could execute it uh, technically, and I, I think I could come up with some ideas. And number one, not having uh, jerky camera work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. which Cloverfield did not have much of, uh, nor did Chronicle. Mm. Yeah, so let's talk about your audio book, uh, The Mexican Swimmer. How did that do? Oh, well, there's there's a story of perseverance. I, I wrote that a year ago. It was the greatest creative experience. I started it off as a short story. I had it on my writer's site. People said, man, this would make the greatest series. It's sort of a, it's a, it's a kind of a book noir, dark uh, story, like um, uh, what's the Robert Rodriguez uh, movies, part one and part two. Um, anyway, it's a dark what's film the noir. Uh, Sin City. Oh, Sin City. It's a Sin City yeah, yeah. type of thing. And yeah. I wrote it in the first person and uh present tense and i and then and that was was so good i did a part two so i got two novellas 100 page each and i recorded it as an audio book uh with one person hired a um, a mexican-american actor that i used in my other audio books named julian scott urena very uh talented great voice and we did it first person and he did voices he did women's voices that were not falsetto voices but you just felt like it it just felt like a full cast then i added sound effects music total uh, total production and while i was doing it you know i just thought this is going to be this is going to be really selling and that's what that's what all producers um, you know feel like you know when you you don't start a movie or or even a book unless you think it'll be read with an audience and um uh I thought uh, I checked. Uh, Kindle is very popular in Mexico, and so when I got yeah. when I got the project done, I put it on. And here's here's I think I invented this instead of going to Audible or another distributor. Uh, my style is have the Kindle written version book, and in there is a link, free link to download the audio. So for three ninety five, they get a Kindle book of the story and then a link of the full cast audio, which is three hours. I thought, what a deal. 
And uh, nice. I did I did Facebook ads. Now here's the thing: it's the dream. We all start off with a dream, and the dream empowers us. And and sometimes we think this is going to be great, and some movies go, and some don't. And uh, it's the dream. It's just an exciting year. And I, and I was watching the making of Psycho. I thought this is going to be a big escape uh, seller like Psycho and a big surprise, and especially in Mexico. And like I said, you know, I did the research. And I so when I've got it done, um, you know, the audio is terrific. So I put it on uh, Amazon and uh, with the free link to the audio. And I did Facebook ads to Mexican men in Mexico who have Kindles and, uh, you know, who like, um, you know, noir books or, you know, that kind of fiction. And I directed the ads to them and 200 people of them clicked to check it out on Amazon and zero bought it. So, you know, and I wasn't disappointed. Uh, Yeah. I disappointed, but it's, but it's like, well, I understand that, you know, there's just some, uh, some things uh, don't work out and, you know, for your listeners, um, you know, you got actors and, and, and film people. Um, I was watching this movie called, um, public, uh, eye, Joe Pesci is a 1940s cameraman in New York. He takes news pictures, and he's uh, he's also and he sells a newspaper. And he's also got his book. He's trying to get published, a special news photos, and he can't get a publisher interested. And Barbara Hershey plays a part, and she says, "You know, I tried to be an artist, a ballerina, but I gave up." And she says to Joe Pesci, "You're the real thing." You're a real artist. And Pesci says, why do you say that? She says, because you would have given up a long time ago. And in that movie, Joe Pesci's like 40. And when I saw that movie, I was 40. And it was like Barbara Hershey was telling me, Paul, you're the real thing because you haven't given up. So, <laughs> you, know, we, you know, actors are artists and, and, you know, directors and writers and crew members. It's all part of the artistic group. And to have that dream... And uh, when you have disappointments or projects that fail and to keep going, uh, you're the real thing. You know, we all we, we take side jobs or we expand, you know, the, what changed me. I went from not only feature film directing, I expanded my mind to to, uh, you know, books and audio productions. And, and I got to direct my favorite actors uh, in those audio books, 19 of them. And. If we continue with the dream, we are the real thing. So Barbara Hershey was talking to me and Joe Pesci as well. So that's a good movie, The The Public Eye. A lot of people don't know that movie, but it's for to continue as a freelance and to finally get success or a lucky break. So now The Mexican Swimmer is still a great you know, project, and I have the audio, and it recorded it. I think it was with just one actor it was going to be five thousand uh, dollars, but I went up. Uh, he was having trouble with the voices, but the prob- what he was doing, the actor was so good. So we went into you know double the time I thought to record at a professional studio. So that the budget at six grand, I think, went up to twelve grand. But it stands. I've got it, and I've got it on CD. I've got it. And it it might be discovered uh, as I move up, like with this James Bond lifestyle, and then people check out right. my other audios. Um, you know, I've got it. It's it's completed, and uh, there's no more money drained because I 
it's produced and finished. So yeah, it um, technically failed, uh, but with the internet now, a movie can be discovered, a book can be discovered, audio can be discovered. So I encourage your listeners to, you know, even though we we all have uh, different jobs uh, to sustain ourselves, to keep that dream going, uh, and keep you know pursuing on, on different levels the the acting and uh, the writing and directing. The acting could be done at uh, local theaters and local playhouses. They can produce their own video these days with um, with digital and produce their own short films that where they can perform in or they direct. So, um, yeah, keep that dream going. And it was the Mexican swimmer. Yeah, it didn't sell uh, right away. Now, some people did buy it, and they left great reviews, the ones that uh, that did that did buy it left great reviews on Amazon. So as those reviews build and, you know, get a couple of uh, uh, buyers of that one uh, every month and some reviews. So it, it could still take off because it's still great. <laughs> and I still That's have right. that dream for it. Yeah. So to Absolutely. be the real thing, it's pers- perseverance. And uh, as I say in the James Bond lifestyle, is, um, you know, perseverance is the number one aspect of success more important than uh, talent, more important than uh, intelligence, and more important than education. Those three things are important, but without perseverance, if you give up, the dream stops. Well, like uh, Churchill said, never, never, never give up. Uh, We're coming up about, uh, I guess, eight and a half minutes. So you have a wild John Carradine story. Do tell. Yeah, uh, I was um, making Omega Cop, and one of the, uh, at that time, John Carradine, famous actor, and I'll tell you some of his credits in a a minute, he had died. And some crew member said, yeah, I read John Carradine died, and I read in the newspaper, and the guy says, yeah, he made 160 movies, most of them bad. Ah, ha, ha. Man, I was, like, really bugged because I'm a fan of Carradine, uh, you know, most film fans, uh, you know, know him from either the classic movies or the horror movies that he made. I was really bugged, and I wanted to tell this guy, but we were in the middle of the... Pro- I kept my mouth shut. Over the years, I would see, you know, re-see movies, The Ten Commandments. There's John Carradine. Oh, my God, I, I wish I could go in a... This guy's name was... I'll use, a, I'll use the fictitious name, Fred. I wish I could go in a time machine and go back there and tell Fred... What are you talking about? He was in Ten Commandments, and I'd see all these movies, and I'd build this list of my in my mind John Carradine movies, but I couldn't go in a time machine. So there I am at Spy Fest on the Queen Mary at this VIP party. There's only about twelve of us, and who walks in the door? David Carradine. And I walk over to David, and I said, uh, you know, after. And in the party, he was kind of by himself, and I said, David, I'm a big fan of your dad. And that list of movies came to my mind because I ran it in my mind so much. I said, a big fan of your dad. And he was like shy, but boy, did he perk up. I said, the Ten yeah. Commandments, he was around the world, 80 Days, Bride of Frankenstein, Grapes of Wrath, Stagecoach, The Shootist, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, Blood and Sand. And he says, oh, Blood and Sand. David said, yeah, my dad, he did the death scene. That's the best so, and better than going back in a time machine to tell Fred, you know, you're you're full of it. Here's the list of Carradine's great movies. I was able to do that list to Carradine's son. So, yeah. sometimes you get nice little 
payoffs like that. And at the time, I didn't think at Omega Cop 2, uh, Ron Marchini, the producer and star, didn't ask me to direct Omega Cop 2 because he could get David Carradine in one scene cameo of his Omega Cop 2 if he hired David Carradine's friend to direct. So I actually lost <laughs> Omega Cop 2. But see, that's fair. I, I, I wasn't bugged because, you know, to get David Carradine, that was great. But I didn't even think of it at the time. Here's Carradine who uh, cut me out of uh, Omega Cop 2. So all <laughs> kinds of all kinds of fun things connect if you keep your memory and, uh, you know, if you have a, you know, mem- remember things and um, have a, you know, connecting sense of humor about it. So that's my, I, I love that story. I was, what better than to, you know, instead of telling Fred the list of Carradine movies, tell John Carradine's son. So that was a real pay- payoff for me. Amazing, amazing. Well, Paul, it's been a real pleasure. I learned a lot tonight, but you know, thanks again for coming on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. It's always great um, uh, talking with you and uh, being connected uh, on Facebook. And uh, you gave me great help on editing that Woody Strode uh, article I did and gave me some good ideas and retitling it. And uh, you tested uh, the article and got some feedback and you helped him with it. Really appreciate. So it's it's great to be connected. You know, with this internet, all us artists can connect and and help each other. It's uh, it's wonderful. That's amazing. That's great. Well, man, I wish you uh, much success with all your projects. Okay. Thank you, William. Great talking to you. All right. God bless. Good night. Good night. Bye bye. And let me leave you with this quote from uh, Jude Law. My only obligation is to keep myself and other people guessing. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.